Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. I'm Tim Ryder from Metsmerized. With me today is uh, my executive editor, oh, editor over at Metsmerized, Mike Mayer. How's it going, man? It's going pretty good. How you doing, man? Doing well. Doing well. A busy weekend getting ready for the holidays, but that's uh, par for the course this time of year. Uh, how are Absolutely. you doing, man? You're, you're fresh back from San Diego. Yeah, I'm still – I was there just long enough to get used to eat uh, West Coast time and then have to come home and be like, oh, all right, what the heck's going on now? Yeah, yeah jet lag. Uh, it gets gets everybody. There's, uh, people swear they have tricks for it, but there's really no way around it. No, yeah, and then, I mean – I'm from one extreme to the other from San Diego to Maine. So it was, it was like 14 hours of travel and losing time and the change and everything. And so it is essentially just one whole day of travel. So that, that definitely takes a toll on you. Yeah. It all melts into one before you finally snap back into form. But, um, what were your, uh, what were your takeaways for the winter meetings? I mean, you had your Garrett Coles, you had, you know, I guess a lot of trade winds blowing. Um, I guess in general, winners and losers, you have any, uh, any standouts? I mean, it was pretty interesting to see that essentially each day I was there, um, or three. I mean, you had three contracts of 245 or more a million. So. It's pretty cool to see, considering last year, when I was at the winter meetings, Andrew McCutcheon, I think, at $50 million was the big deal. So to see three deals of that magnitude, it was pretty cool. And um, I think I think between the from those teams and also the Phillies, I really like that deal getting Gregorius for only one year. I mean, that's a, that's a nice little deal for them to add him to Wheeler. Um, so I think I think they've done well so far this offseason. They still need some more pitching, but and anytime you're an already good team like the Yankees and you can add arguably one of the one, two, three best pitchers in baseball, um, tough to argue against that. I know people are still ooing and aahing at the money, but um they have it and they're willing to spend it, so why not get one of the best pitchers in baseball? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm Certainly looking forward to seeing him on a more consistent basis here in New York. Um, I think I agree with you. I think DD's going to do well in Philly. I think playing in that band box, he's going to um, continue to do what he did at Yankee Stadium and um, you know, take the ball into right field. And yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm certainly uh, not really looking forward to to seeing him 19 times a year, but. You know, be that as it may, uh, the Mets <laughs> that'll bring us right into the Mets. Who uh, I guess you know. A lot of rumors blown around. Starling Marte came back into the picture during the week. Um, the Mets ended up settling on two starting pitchers that will, I guess, assert, uh, yeah, we're going to assume they're going to compete for the fifth spot. Uh, we'll see how that shakes out. But in Michael Waka and Rick Porcello, um, the Mets added something they needed. They, they needed depth, and they did it at a, an affordable route, um, repla- uh, truly replacing Wheeler in the rotation with a actual number three starter probably would have been the, uh, you know, the wise move if there were unlimited funds, but this organization is still kind of operating under the Wilpon way. And um, the Mets came away with two 
let's just say, you know, I don't want to call them play setters because there's nobody really <laughs> waiting waiting to uh, to come scoop up their spot. But um, you know, hopefully they're going to come in and, and do do what they were uh, what they're being paid to do. What are your takeaways on Waka and Porcello, man? Well, I I still have a tough time with it because um, you are essentially using trying to use both of those guys um, to replace Wheeler, which I know is really tough to do. Um, but it just brings you back to the fact that they didn't even really try to bring back Wheeler. Um, they they obviously should have tried to sign him to an extension before it got to this point. That didn't happen. Um, they didn't really seem to have much interest in resigning him. Um, that's an issue for me. And then, then to so I mean you're going from five one eighteen to you're dipping to Porcello's one year ten million. So for me there's there's room in between. There's uh Rio, there's uh Dallas Keichel, there's um Tanner Roark even was that time with the Blue Jays. Um th- there was enough middle ground in the pitching market between those two that it's I think it's still pretty disappointing to end up with Porcello and Waka. And I mean if Porcello and Waka both well, Porcello's gotten a ten million guaranteed and Waka's deal is was underreported incentives wise. He can actually get up to I think it's eleven point three if he hits all his incentives, which is impossible because some of them are relief and some are starter. But um so he would essentially still be looking at that ten million. Um, I don't know. I just it, it feels it still feels weird to me that Walker is essentially saying that he was signed as a starter. Um, and maybe that, that would just be a weird thing for him a to think that he's uh, going to definitely get a spot with a base of only three million, and then for the Mets to say that with them knowing that they had serious interest in Porcello. So, and it's the whole timeline thing. Like I had mentioned on Twitter, how does the Cespedes um, restructuring kind of play into this timeline? Did that have any factor into them going back to Porcello after they knew they had more money to spend because they saved significantly on the luxury tax with the Cespedes deal? Oh, for sure. I mean, it's just saving 20 million alone. In uh, in 2020 is going to be huge. It gives them a, a lot more leeway than they previously had, and you know I'll, to think I'll that, throw an asterisk on that. We hope <laughs> it will be huge. Oh sure, and then that's kind of it. Kind of pushes them into the second phase of the off season, and you would hope that that money is going to be reinvested. But <laughs> as as our friend uh, Good Fundies Brian Mangan pointed out over the weekend on Twitter. Um, and many, many others have pointed this out. The Mets haven't have really not reinvested David Wright's insurance money. They haven't reinvested Cespedes's insurance money. Um, between last year and this coming season, they would have saved thirty four point three million combined on Cespedes's mm-hmm. money. Uh, that's between his fourteen point eight paid salary last year and his nine point five before incentives this year. Um, you know. One would think that when playing, I guess, uh, operating so low, so far below that competitive balance tax, that they would at least uh, now, with extra money to spend, make a real attempt. But 
I mean, presumably they knew that that money was going to be earmarked or, or back in the bank. Maybe I should I should say um, before they signed to Porcello and Waka. So I guess there's still question marks as far as what's next for this well, team. Well, and I, to go back to I'm sorry to interrupt, but to go no, back of even course. farther, to go back even farther, they knew they were stopped. They had stopped paying Cespedes at the deadline last year. So they essentially knew that they had this extra um, double figures million sitting in an account that they could have used to try to buy a a bullpen piece at the deadline or that they knew that they had saved from last year that um, that they could use for this year. So, I mean, it they I think that's the bigger frust where I have some frustration, too, is that they knew they were going to save this money. They did save it last year because they stopped paying him. So the only way they would have had to pay him is if they had lost the grievance, which they obviously knew with this deal um, that they were not going to lose this grievance. They, they There's obviously something in their investigation or whoever investigated it that we found out that Cespedes wasn't doing something he was supposed to be doing, and this is ultimately why we have a deal. Yeah, and you know this is—it's like like you said—it's so frustrating because under uh, for the last let's say decade or so under the Wilpons, this has been their mo, and um, you know it just when you think like hey things are you know oh a little bit of extra money comes in hey things are looking up you know you really have to second guess if they're going to do anything and it's just it's that in itself is a shame that in a, in a, for a team in the biggest market arguably on the planet. Um, they have to operate like this. And that's why Steve Cohen coming in as soon as freaking possible is is of utmost importance. <laughs> oh, yeah, and exactly. And believe me, like, I would rather be standing here talking about, like, well, definitely, well, now they're going to get a Batanzas. Now they're going to get a Jason Castro to catch. Um, they're going to get another reliever, like uh, Will Harris or something like that. Like, they're definitely going to go and spend and fill those needs, but we're already, we know to be at least pessimistic about that. Um, so I, it's just too bad that we can't just assume this, that they're going to get some bullpen help. Cause they, I mean, uh, Brody Van Wagenen can say all he wants about the additions of Seth Lugo and Robert Gazelman to the bullpen, but he's not fooling anyone. They, they still need two bullpen arms and they're still, I mean, they've missed out on a big chunk of the market, but luckily there's still some there with Batanzas and Romo and Ciszek and Hudson still available. There's there's still pieces available. Oh, and even going down into the into the next tier, you have your Colin McHughes. Um, I I still like Brandon Kinsler. I still think he could be a weapon. I know he's had a um, he had a bit of a downturn. But if anything, he'll come on. He'll come even cheaper. I like a few of his his metrics. Um, same thing with Jeremy Jeffress. I think that he can mm-hmm. be a weapon out of the bullpen. Um, I, I've said it before on the pod. Craig Stammen, uh, excuse me, Craig Stammen, uh spent the last few years in San Diego. I think he could be a a great weapon. Control is his is the name of his game. It's his bread and butter. Um, that's kind of what you need. Throw strikes and hopefully uh, the defense will be a little more. Uh, are capable than they were last year. And um, I think that with the new coaching staff in place, they'll have 
you know, at least certain tinkering to do, but I think the potential is there for that to happen. Uh, Tony Singrani, I hope I has said his name right. Um, a lefty who I think could be a, a weapon out of the pen for these guys. I mean, there's options out there. And with a little extra money to spend, um, I think the bullpen is the spot. I think Patances has to be the guy you go after. He's a perfect fit. Um, as far as Brody, uh, all this blowing smoke about Lugo and Gazelman, um, it's it, to me, it's posturing. It's give, giving himself leverage in negotiations because one has to assume he's not done yet. He could say all he wants, and we've seen not just him, Mets GMs, other GMs around all professional sports do this. They could say all they want until it's go time, and then, you know, oh, oh, I guess they had this in the works. Like, yeah, of course they did. <laughs> this is this is how they operate, man. You can't show your hand. So, um, yeah, I, I, I can't imagine Brody's done. Um, I want to touch on Cespedes real quick. Do you expect any sort of contribution from him this year? Um. I mean, he he really did look. I know it's just a quick BP video, but he did look healthy. Um, Brody said that he's been running, throwing, swinging for weeks now, um, and that was earlier early this week. So I mean, we're I mean we're probably we could be pushing like a month that he's been doing all this stuff. So. And that's, that's still, we're still two months away from spring training. So that's about three months of swinging, throwing and hitting. I mean, unless there's something that's holding, holds him back or he has a setback or something. And the Mets obviously could have went through and tried to get all of his salary back and didn't. Um, they, they went ahead and did this restructuring and put a bunch of incentives in, um, I, I just it's it's still tough without having more info, but to me it sounds like they're expecting him to play at some point this year, and um, for him to be at least somewhat healthy. And honestly, with Cespedes, we've seen that as Mets fans that he doesn't even need to be a hundred percent to be an absolute beast with a bat. So, um, I mean, Cespedes at eighty eighty five percent is likely still an above average hitter. So. I mean, even even at worst, we're talking about a one of the best bench bats in the league if healthy. So, I I think I think there's a chance that they're going to get some use out of him this year. I'm a little more optimistic now. I am too. I think seeing the incentives in his contract um, at least signals to me that. You know, they're putting these incentives in there and it's not just to appease them. <laughs> it's not just to, you know, to, it's not just for show. Um, clearly they're expecting some sort of production out of them at some point because I, I, I don't, I, you know, it just doesn't make sense for them to put the incentives in there. Um, now how do you think that shakes out? I know you mentioned him as a bench piece and that would be, I guess at 9.5 million, it's not as expensive as a bench piece. It's pretty much what you paid Juan Lagares last year, so there's a plus. But um, does that change if you were at the wheel? Does that change how you would go about your your offseason? Do you think the Mets are done adding outfielders? Do you feel that um, uh, Jake Marisnik is going to be a capable platoon outfielder? Is he simply a fourth outfielder? Um you know, how, how do the how does the cookie crumble from here on out in, in your mind? Um, I think I think they're done 
um, adding outfielders. Oh, you're think, breaking my heart, Mike. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I do not, I do not see them acquiring another outfielder. Um, I see, I don't see, I think if they're smart, I see them using Marisnik, not a platoon guy because he doesn't have platoon splits. He's just a defensive guy or pinch runner type. Um, so I, you just use him a lot late for defense. Um, and I, st- I still think they trade an outfielder. Um, now, who that is, it kind of depends. I don't think it's Nimmo. I think you're either trading Smith or Davis, and I think they would rather trade Smith. And um, that I think that makes some sense. He doesn't. He doesn't have a ton of fit on the Mets. Besides, um, right now he would essentially be like. I mean, he's like your fifth outfielder, backup first baseman, lefty off the bench, which they they could certainly use. But I I think I think there's a chance that you see Dom traded, and maybe it's tied to Lowry because I, I still think they try to get rid of Lowry and his salary because they just I mean who they just don't have room for Lowry, and I don't I don't know how like we're talking about with Cespedes being a nine and a half million bench piece that's right around what Lowry's getting paid to I just don't see them wanting to pay having 20 million dollars sitting on the bench um it just doesn't seem doesn't seem like a Mets thing that they're looking to do and so if Cespedes is playing a lot of if he's playing a decent amount of left field then you got to try to find Davis somewhere at that so that pushes him more playing some third base and McNeil moving around and that's just in my mind, it creates less playing time for a guy like Lowry. And I know the Rangers are interested. There's been talk of the A's. Um, if if you tie Smith to Lowry, then so, someone's going to take him because teams are going to take someone on a silver platter like that. Look what the Giants just did. They just got a first-round pick from the Angels on a silver platter just because they took Zach Cozart. So teams are willing to eat some money to get young talent and Smith is that I think I talked to a scout when I was in San Diego and they that scout absolutely thought that Smith could be a uh, regular at first base in the major leagues and I agree um, he's got himself in great shape he's got sleep apnea taken care of um, the swing looks better he's got a better he had a better approach last year um, I think he's a major league starting first baseman um how good he is there is he a, I think I don't think he's a 5 or 6 war player but I think he's a solid 3 war starting first baseman um and that is that is value in the league especially while he's still um cheap I, I you know you're breaching to the choir as far as Dom Smith I mean you know I'm a big Dom Smith fan um I think he's a his bat has three wins in it and I think his fielding probably has another win in in, in it in itself um He's a as just just to echo what you were saying, just an outstanding fielder. Um, his confidence at the plate really started to show last season. Um, he's I guess he never really developed into that power hitter. Let's leave his game winning home run on the season finale last season out. But uh, you know he's never been much of a power hitter, and you could see him developing as that line drive to all fields type of guy, and that's a great thing. And I do think that he can stick on anywhere else as a starter. I think he has that capability. That being said, I 
do see the value that Dom Smith will bring to this roster. And true, yes, he doesn't have a spot in the field, but he's an inexpensive team control guy who um, who can bring a solid bat. And your only left-handed bat. If Nimmo's in the lineup, he's your only left-handed bat on the lineup on the bench right now. Um, so there's value there. But again, the value that other teams might see in him might trump that. Uh, Davis. In my mind, unless you're getting blown away, you don't move him. I don't care if he doesn't have a position. His bat is something else. Did you happen to catch the, uh, <laughs> I guess, little review that you Darvish had for J.D. Davis last week? I, I believe Jacob Resnick from MMO shared it on Twitter. Um, very impressive stuff. I don't have it in front of me, and you can look it up on Twitter, anyone listening. But uh, very impressive stuff, and it just it makes me like J.D. Davis even more. Did you happen to catch that? Yeah, yeah, and essentially what Darvish was saying was that J.D. Davis was one of the top five, in the top five of the best hitters he's faced last year. And coming from a guy like you, Darvish, who's not only a good pitcher, but a very smart pitcher. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a pretty, that's a pretty ultimate compliment from, for a guy that really has limited major league time. So for him to say that about Davis, that, that's pretty impressive. And, yeah, to kind of your point where you're talking about with Smith. So, yeah, essentially, so if you did trade Smith and Lowry together, then, yeah, your left-handed bench starts looking pretty weak with Guillaume being the only left-handed bat. So that's that's kind of something you'd have to look at. But I so, so essentially, if you – I guess my thinking would be is I would rather not tie Smith to Lowry and maybe – Maybe you get a team like the A's to just take Lowry, um, and then then you still have Smith as that left-handed bat. So, like you were talking about, that that might make more sense to do something like that because um, they don't they don't really have a left-handed bat in the upper minors that they can actually look at too. I mean, they're not going to call up Jimenez to be a bench bat. Um, Jared Parker, who they just signed, he's he's not a terrible. I mean. He's better than a lot of guys you see get on minor league deals. He does have some power. He's shown some power in the major leagues. Um, but yeah, there, there isn't much depth there in AAA to look at a bat. I mean, Sam Haggerty is a switch hitter, but he, if he's in the majors, it's because he's the 26th man because he can play everywhere and he's pretty fast. So yeah, to, to your point, you're, you're, you're on point there with if you trade Lowry and Smith, then your left handed bat is, kind of it's not there um i guess my only thing to combat that would be is if the mets sign jason castro who i think would be a really good fit for the team if you sign castro and then there's there would be a potential for the mets to carry three catchers because i know they mentioned that then you you would have castro as that left-handed bat off the bench too so he's the type of guy that could give them a little more flexibility and uh i that that's something, and I like I like Nito. Um, I still talk to Nito um, through private message because we uh, I interviewed him in the minor leagues, and he's a good guy, and I've always wished him well. And I think he's he's a good defensive catcher. He was in the top echelon last year in the major leagues. Um, the problem is his uh, WRC plus was. He was under 50 last year, and that's essentially where he's been in his major league career. And it's just really tough to get value out of a catcher when they're hit, they're hitting so low. Um, that's why I think 
I would sign. I would like Castro would be my number one pick. He potentially might want more of a role somewhere else. Trinos is still available. Even Russell Martin has been very good defensively, and his still I think his um, WRC plus was 82 last year. So I mean, you're still looking at that's quite a difference between Martin and Nito. Um, I, I think I think there's just some options there to try to still be good with the glove and get a little better with with the bat. Um, behind the plate. I like Castro a lot. Um, I'm not a fan of Chirinos. His, um, his framing, he, he's even worse than Ramos. What he can do is block yeah, the low yeah. ball. Um, mm-hmm. He blocks the low ball very well. So, you know, that's something that you, of course, have to look at with so many pitchers relying on um, on breaking pitches in this rotation, uh, especially when it comes to your, your bullpen guys like Lugo and Gazelman. <laughs> Back to the bullpen. <laughs> it still makes me laugh. Um <laughs> Uh, so, you know, there's the Mets have options and uh, not options, but they have decisions to make. And um, I'm with you on Nito. I, I do feel like, especially in an American League lineup, um, where your catcher, considering the lack of production pretty much across the game out of the position on the offensive side, um, the catcher is kind of like your pitcher position in the, DA, in the, in the American League uh, when using DH. I wonder if... Um, he would hold more value to an American League team if they're out there maybe possibly shopping him. Um, I, you know, if the Padres were shopping Austin Hedges, who's the arguably the best defensive catcher in the game, I think you'd have to approach that. Um, I'm curious whether the Mets go out and start shopping um, uh, Jimenez or Maurizio. Because these guys, I mean, we've had this conversation on the pod before, but these guys who are at the moment blocked by Ahmed Rosario, um, I know they're both coming off not subpar years. Uh, Jimenez um, was injured towards the end of the year and through the Arizona Fall League. He absolutely raked. Um, They hold, I guess you could say they hold value just with their names alone right now. It doesn't matter really that they had a, a downtick last year. Do you see them, their names being floated in deals as the offseason goes on, especially in, in, some, in something to acquire an actual piece that the Mets might need? Yeah, I think, I think if they do try to make a trade, obviously I, they don't need to make a trade for a starter now, but if they try to make a trade for like a Jose Leclerc, who I know they've talked about, last offseason and this offseason or another type of controllable bullpen arm as we've seen controllable bullpen arms can hold a lot of value just in the trade today with Kluber everyone's like freaking out like well why did they get so little and then it come to find out that the hard thrower that the um they got everyone sees him as a future closer in the major leagues and by future I mean like this year so those type of arms are carrying a lot of value in trades. So if they were looking to get someone, uh, Leclerc, Hader is another name that's been thrown out that the Brewers might look to trade um, an arm like that, then I think Jimenez, Jimenez is another name that's going to come up a lot. I know Vientos is Mark Vientos, uh, uh, a ball third baseman who has some of the best power in the Mets minor league system. Um, he's another name that came up a lot last off season and has this off season too. 
um, as a piece that teams are asking about. Um, and David Peterson, um, he's another guy that's they've kind of dangled too. But I think for me, well, he, he makes a little more sense for them to dangle him now just because with Porcello and Walker, they did add a couple of depth pieces starter-wise. But I, I still, I'm still a little worried about um, their depth starting pitching-wise. Um, so I, I don't think Peterson's a guy with trade, but they, they're, they're really they're limited in terms of making any big deals um, of who they have for trade pieces. And I highly doubt, I mean, three of their top 10 to 11 prospects are all guys they drafted last year because of how um, diminished the their prospect pool was before they got three good guys in Beatty, Wolf, and Allen. And I can get, I can bet that uh, Brody's not wanting to trade either one of those guys after just drafting them. So it, it'll be interesting to see maybe more so at the trade deadline, say the Mets are still kicking around and who they decide they're going to trade for young prospects. Cause we, we know that if they're close, that they're going to be, they're going to be trades. Um, Brody is showing that he's completely willing to trade whoever, whoever they have to get the pieces they think they need. Yeah, that's, um, that's a slippery slope. And I, I'm totally, I'm, I'm all about shedding a prospect, especially one who's blocked, um, by a fellow minor leaguer and a major leaguer, um, if you're in the if you're in the thick of it and it makes sense, sure you go for it. Um, I am curious as to you know if we're going to see more teams like the Cleveland Indians who are selling off these you know this this is a team that won ninety something games last season and they're selling off all their pieces. I'm, we've heard the Cubs might be in the same boat right now. Um, I'm curious as to see whether more teams are going to jump into this before the offseason is over and start shedding big pieces. And if they're looking for upper crust prospects, I think Mauricio and Jimenez kind of check those boxes. Um, the Mets have a an assortment of team control guys who would be very attractive. And, you know, in a deal for – I know this is kind of just – fantasy baseball type trade, but in a deal for, let's say, a Francisco Lindor, um, you have to consider moving Rosie in a prospect. And, um, you know, <laughs> you never know where these things are going to go. And the Mets have a lot of assets. And that's a great thing right now. But they also have a lot of talent in those assets. So it, it gives it uh, a coin flip type of uh, uh, kind of characteristic where – you know, oh, well, you know, we can kind of ride this out and see where it goes. Or if the right deal comes along at the trade deadline this offseason, what have you, um, they can really go for it because they have the pieces. I know I was mentioning to Jacob Resnick on, on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, this is probably the deepest, uh, at least at the major league level, arbitration, pre-arbitration that I've seen, uh, pre-arbitration group that I've seen in, in, in flushing in some time. Um, as you were just saying, uh, having to restock the, the um, the farm system last year, uh, bringing in big, you know, solid names like Beatty and those guys. Um, it's it, it's almost like the regime did bring along some sort of change, and it hasn't really shown results yet. But you kind of see how the operations are different. I'm just kind of hoping that gains traction 
I guess I, I, I kind of got off base with what we were talking about, but it is kind of tied together because there's talent at all levels. There's not a, a, a depth of talent, but um, there's talent at all positions right now. And I really, it's been a long time since you can remember, since I can remember where they've had a situation like this and they're all young guys and um, albatrosses are coming off of the, the payroll next year. You really have to wonder where where this team's going to go, whether Steve Cohen is going to let Brody continue his vision. I mean, so much is riding on this season. It's just it's it's kind of wild. But um, yeah, lots to uh, lots more to, to take care of in, in this uh, in this off season. Mike, there's one more thing I wanted to chat with you about. Um, I know you feel passionately about it. Uh, it wasn't on my docket list, so I don't mean to throw you a curveball here. But what are your thoughts on the um? on the proposed minor league contraction and the steps that have been taken this weekend by major league baseball to uh, go so far as to threaten to cut the uh, minor league baseball out of the picture altogether. Um, any initial thoughts on this new development? Um, can I say shit storm on here? Oh, of course. Yeah, this is, um, it, it, it's for the kids too, but it, this is for all audiences. Please curse away. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a complete shit, a shit, well, what I like to call a shit sandwich. Um, <laughs> it's, just, it's just, I mean, I can understand, I love minor league baseball, I cover it, have been for a long time, and I completely um, understand they're wanting to be some sort of overhaul. Um, 42 teams seems aggressive to me. Um uh, and some of the teams they're cutting just don't make sense to me either. Um, and, I mean, to me, this just feels like such a Major League Baseball, well, we're going to threaten this really big, obnoxious plan, and that's just only going to be the topic so we can take away from what the biggest issue in the minor leagues is, and that's actually paying minor leaguers a livable wage. And that's it's worked. What are we talking about now? We're talking about the fact that Major League Baseball is looking to cut 42 teams. That's all we're talking about, and we're talking about the back and forth of this, and we've completely lost track of the most important topic, which Major League Baseball wants you wants you to make this is think that this is going to fix. And yes, it could on a very, very small degree. You could pay. That's part of their plan is to try to bump up the pay a little bit. But guess what you're also doing? You're cutting hundreds and hundreds of jobs. You're cutting opportunities for guys. And I know, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter like, well, you're just cutting opportunities for guys that were never going to make the big leagues anyway. Well, tell that to TJ Rivera, who was never drafted and then signed and just middled around in the minor leagues for five or six years. And then... Finally, the Mets are like, all right, we can't ignore how he's hitting. He's coming to the big leagues. And he contributed to them. He was a big leaguer. He just signed with the Phillies today. Um, Seth Lugo, he was a 34th rounder. I mean, where where would a guy like that fall in these plans? He wouldn't. He wouldn't even be in a league. He'd have to go play in the independent league or whatever this BS Dreamers League is potentially there. Oh. So I, it's just you're you're taking away the possibility – of these type of guys getting the opportunity to make the big leagues. And that's without getting back 
or missing the entire point that I was talking about that we're still not talking about the biggest key is they just need to pay the players. That's what they need to do. They need to pay the minor leaguers. The Blue Jays did the right thing last year and up their pay a little bit. Um, other teams need to step up and do it. Um, that's just all there is to it. There's just too many horror stories of minor leaguers. I mean, the biggest thing would be them being malnutritioned. I mean, the, you should want these guys to eat top-of-the-line food to keep their bodies in top-of-the-line. I That's one thing that's always just driven me crazy. And But they can't afford to. They can't afford to. And I'm getting a little off track now, as you can see. But, yeah, I just – there, there needs to be some sort of agreement between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball. Look, there's probably going to be some teams that are cut. Um, that's understandable if you go through and pick out some teams that, A, aren't making money. There's not a lot of fans coming. The facilities are complete trash. Um, I, I mean, that that's viable. There's probably some teams that are viable to cut without like doing a mass overhaul, which is essentially what they're talking about. Well, now, hear me out. Like, you already have the independent league in place um, all over the country. If you were to add teams or, or take the current teams that are proposing – that are proposed to be cut from baseball, let's say 20 teams are cut from MI, from, from minor leagues. If you, I guess, merge them into the independent league, you have this influx of minor league talent to go along with the, the independent league talent that's currently there. Um you know, if you market that as an independent minor league developmental league, um, personally, I watch that. And I think that would draw money. It would draw capital. It would afford – it could – you know, it would – and, of course, there's no excusing cutting, let's say, a third of the workforce out of minor league baseball, which is kind of what this would be doing. There's no excuse for doing that. That's a tough thing to do. But giving these guys a sort of safety net to fall on if they were – to have a, a secondary plan in place to have a – well, one, of course, minor league, the pay wages would increase if you were to cut the players out. Sure, that would work. That would fix their problems. But then you have to worry about all these players who are out of a job now. Um, if you can work out something where the independent league becomes a independent – like I said, independent developmental league, uh, have a pay structure in place that if hey, it's it would pretty much – you know, it would be what they're making now as minor leaguers, but they're not playing um, affiliated ball. They're playing professional baseball independently. Um, it would provide them a track back to the majors. Um, of course, this is not a perfect plan, and this is uh, a brutal plan for the guys who are going to be losing jobs and the cities who are going to be losing teams, if there are any. But, uh, you know, they have options. Saying for for Rob Manfred to come out and say we're going to cut the whole league out, and I, I like where you were going with that. They're kind of dis distracting you from the real issues here because they have a freak. <laughs> I want to curse too. I'm going to say freaking laundry list between the sign stealing, between uh, the baseball that they had the, uh, the, the the research done on the baseball from last season. They have a lot of PR messages right now to clean up. Um, I think Rob Manfred coming out and screaming, we're going to cut minor league baseball out of the picture altogether, is you hit it on the nose. It's, it's, a, it's a way to divert your attention. And um, it, it's kind of scary, but it kind of goes along with the theme of the world right now, I guess. Everyone's pulling this shit. Um, it's, you know, this can't be the only way 
that, oh, we have to either cut 42 teams or we're going to cut you guys out altogether. There has to be a middle ground. Uh, Senator Bernie Sanders has been trying to mediate this, and I think he's doing a terrific job kind of gaining steam at this point. Um, I think that for a $10 billion a year industry in Major League Baseball to quibble over a few million dollars to pay your future ball players, um, it, it, it shouldn't even be a second. It shouldn't even be an afterthought. You do what you got to do. This is cost of business. This is, you know, this is sending your employees to school if you're in the trades. This is anything like that. You have to pay. Well, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And yeah, I just want to hit on this point because you're bringing up a really good point is, yeah, we're talking about drops in the bucket to make sure that these guys are better suited when they get to the big leagues or make it so that certain players do get to the big leagues. Like Joe Blow in single A, if he gets paid more, maybe he doesn't have to have that summer job and maybe he can spend more time that summer working on pitches, going over film, um, getting in better shape. Like it, it just beyond the fact that it's the right thing to do. It's also the smart thing to do to pay these minor leaguers more because of what we're talking about. Like you, you don't want these guys to have to have a second job in the off season. Maybe some, of course some would still do it by choice, but you want these guys to focus as much on baseball as they can. You want them training baseball as much as they can. Um, it just, at some point you would think the greedy owners would realize that this also would help them in the long run and it wouldn't cost much to do. And th that's where a lot of my frustration stems from. And um, yeah, like you were saying, th there's just, there has to be some sort of middle ground. And this feels like major league baseball trying to cut 42 teams. It's strong arming minor league baseball. That's what it feels like for them to come out with this ridiculous number like that. It feels like a strong arm. No, and I, and I totally get it that they have to streamline, you know, the minor league system. I get that. My brother was in – he worked for the Red Sox for a year. He's an athletic trainer. Um, he was in Greenville, uh, Advanced A in the South Atlantic League. And just the bus rides, like you were saying earlier, the meals, um, horror stories, absolute horror stories. And you're right. It's just – it's wrong to for employees, and that's what they are. I know they have – loopholes that are bullshit and they play by these rules. These are your employees. These are your, whether they're your future employees, you drafted these guys. Um, they're not all bonus babies. <laughs> Most of them are living off crumbs. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's not smart and it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And um, it's frustrating. It's extremely frustrating. Mike, do you think that, you know, I know that minor league baseball doesn't have anything to do with major league baseball, but it seems like there's so much blowing around the game right now as far as labor disputes and, and, and just different sorts of issues going on. Do you see this headed, you know, coming to a head with a work stoppage? I just, it's so tough. Like you were saying earlier, I mean, there's so much going on right now with the Astros investigation. Um, the baseball investigation, which they did the whole press conference, the committee did while I was there. And they, as you could tell around the room, um, the national writers weren't exactly um, 
let's let's say buying into everything that they were told um or everything we were told it just there's just something that just sounds fishy about all of it and the fact that Rawlings is there which is owned by Major League Baseball essentially it's just that's just such a yeah I, th- there's something different with the baseball we know that we we've seen the reports from other people we know there's something different um so that's going on and like now that this is a big issue, I think the only thing that might save all of this is the fact that teams are finally spending, like I said, with the the three big deals that while we're there, I mean, if we had another winter meetings like we did last year where there's just no action, um, in the, even leading up to it, there was no action. And this year we saw some pretty important signings um, and moves. And I, I, I think that might be the thing that saves all of this is that there's finally, while there's still teams not spending that should be, that seem kind of ridiculous, we're actually, we're getting to see some elite players get paid like they're elite players. And hopefully that kind of continues. I mean, we, Wheeler's not elite and he's still got a payday. Madison Bumgarner just got a pretty good payday. Hopefully we still see guys like Keiko and Ryu and some of these guys get good paydays too. And, Baseball's kind of back in that sense where teams are spending money on good players. And hopefully hopefully that can kind of get everything else back on track. You would hope so, man, because this is just – and another thing that's going to save this right now, that's going to save everything, I think you made some great points, is the game is being played at quite possibly the highest level it's ever been played before. Just because of all the information that's available to these players and the coaches and the front offices, um, this is an optimized version of baseball. And <laughs> it seems well, like especially these- when you have cameras in center field. Ah, very good. <laughs> no, but just the whole biomechanics and no, um, no, no. Yeah, I, you I know what I had, mean. And- we, we had to get in. We had to get it in there. I mean, there's no higher technology than slamming on a trash can. <laughs> <laughs> And, and you know what? These jokes will never get old. That's the best part. Like, I don't oh, even they- care about the 2017 World Series. I just, I'm, I'm so entertained by the ongoing jokes. And it's going to, they're going to keep on going. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it sounds like this investigation is going to be extensive and long. So, I mean, there, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to, like, what teams, how creative fans are going to be on the road this year for the Mets. Because Beltron's right at the head of this thing. Um, he can say no comment all he wants to the press, but he's right at the tippy top of this with him, Hinch, and Cora. So I, I'm interested to see how um, creative fans are going to be when the Mets travel to see what they do. Yeah. Oh, hey, you know what? It, it, through my eyes, it's all in good fun. I'm I'm just there for the laughs. That, that's that's good stuff. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I mean, there's there's Mets fans that even if you type anything about Beltron they're already doing like Oscar the Grouch type stuff so I mean it's it, it's gonna be there and yeah it is all in good fun I mean there's a, re- a really good chance that Beltron was involved in some way shape or form so have have your fun with it hey if you're not cheating you're not trying right <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right Mike I, I think we've touched on all our bases tonight um this was a lot of fun Thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely, man. I had a lot of fun, too. Awesome. Uh, where can everybody find you on social media? At Mike Mayer, MMO. 
All right. right. On Twitter. Yeah. And uh, I know we uh, will have some more stuff pumping out at Metsmerized over the next few months, so a few, few weeks before pitchers and catchers report. Um, Mike, anything, anything cooking you want to you wanna plug or just uh, keep on checking out the site? Oh, I will. So when I was in um, San Diego, I sat down with the CEO of Dovetail Bats, which is the company that makes the Noblest for McNeil. And also, right, right, right. And also, I mean, one of their biggest clients is Pete Alonzo, too. So um, I did an interview with them, and obviously it was very McNeil and Alonzo strong. Um, so I'll have that out soon, and I'm actually going to go up because they're actually made in Maine, not too far from me, about two hours away. I'm going to go up and take a tour of the facility and see some of those bats made. So um, that'll be pretty cool to write that story. Excellent, man. And just in case you were wondering, I swing a thirty-three, thirty-one. Okay. <laughs> no, that's awesome, man. I can't wait to uh, I can't wait to read that. And um, I'm curious. I want to learn more about McNeil's novelist bat. I, I'm I'm very much looking forward to hearing hearing more about that. Absolutely, man. Awesome, Mike. Thanks so much again for coming on. Um, everybody, you know where to find us. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can find Simply Amazing. Uh, of course, if you enjoyed the show, uh, be so kind as to leave a five-star review and subscribe. And um, I'm, I think we'll see you once more before the holidays. So uh, we'll talk to you all soon, and let's go Mets. Let's go!